This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Your best insight into Utah Jazz basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome everybody into the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. I'm your host, Andy Larson. Co-host, new co-host, Zach Harper, joins us on the show today. Zach, how are you? Uh, I'm actually quite under the weather, but other you are than that, bad. I'm great. That is the perfect way to start like your first official show, though, because people will have low expectations moving forward. It'll, well, no, I can't say it'll never get worse than this, but it's pretty <laughs> low right now, so it'll only get better. Well, good. We're, we're glad to have you with us moving forward. Um, it's exciting. You're, you're at Talk Hoops on Twitter. More people, I feel like, know you by your Twitter handle than your name. Is that, is that unfair? No, I think that's true. I think most people think that that's kind of just my, that is your name. what I go by. <laughs> I mean, people think my last name is Blarson. Because sure. I'm at Andy B. Larson. Yeah, that so, makes sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's also it, confusing with, like, the Zach Lowe thing. Like Zach right, Lowe, there Zach are multiple Harper, Zachs. So it's just easier if it's Talk Hoops. See, and, and in Jazzland, there are multiple Andys, too. There's Andy Bailey. There's, I mean, there's a whole host of Andys and Spencers, really, are, are the two yeah. jazz blogger names. Maybe maybe Ben as well. But, you know, they're, 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 if, if you were born as one of those names, you have a... a future as a jazz blogger in, 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 your, in your future, I guess. And what a future that is. <laughs> it, it, it's, I mean, uh, this is a good team. I, I, I mean, it's kind of hard to argue with the 15-19 and 19 record, but we're, we're watching the Jazz play right now, have a 44-37 lead over the Houston Rockets with a minute left in the first half. Um, we'll get into that game, kind of analyze it at the end once it's, once it's ended. We know a lot of you guys listen to the show as a podcast as well. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, um, and, of course, SaltCityHoops.com where we post the radio show and a new article every day about the, the state of the Utah Jazz. Anyway, uh, first of all, this is a social show, so please feel free to chime in on anything we talk about during the show. You can always tweet us at Andy B. Larson, like we said, or at Talk Hoops, and you can always call us at 877-353-0700. We thought we'd start off our, our first segment of, of the show today with a little bit uh, a new game we, we haven't played, uh, at least not frequently, on, on the Salt City Hoops show before, namely Buy or Sell. I think we like, uh, I like telling people how to spend their money, whether to buy <laughs> things or sell things. So, um, I think people like to pretend to know how to use the stock market, so this is a good way. So we are, we are obligated to spend money here. We're, we're, putting, we're pulling money out of our wallets, literally, and putting it down Just on these. Just flush with cash yeah. during this segment. <laughs> So, you know, pull out your wallets while you're driving. Right, and yeah. Just throw it at throw either money side at of your, your windshield. <laughs> if it sticks, you win. Yeah, perfect. All right, well, let's talk about the, our first buy or sell is about the team that the Utah Jazz are playing right now, the Houston Rockets. And in particular, whether or not their record from here goes, goes up or down. Uh, right now, I believe they're the, the seventh seed in the West and uh, have, I, I think it's fair to say, underperformed overall. They're oh, yeah. 17 and 19. Do you see them finishing the season stronger than they have now or uh, less strong? I guess buy them, buy them if you think they're doing going to be better for the rest of the year. I'll, I'll buy them in, in that case because I do think they will be better. But if we're going to talk about them being a, a power in the West in any way, I'll sell that all day just because I just don't think they ha- – I, I hate projecting psyche and what – players are thinking because I think that's a really tough thing to to try to do but this team just looks like it doesn't care on a night-to-night basis and because of that I just don't I don't know that they're worth investing in 
when you have teams like the Warriors and Spurs and the Thunder. You recently invested many hours into watching all of their transition defense possessions. I think that's what got me sick. <laughs> I did that, and like three days later, I was really sick. So you, you just somehow just contracted, contracted it some kind of the malaise. internet. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, it's contagious, right? I it's mean, really it's bad. clear that that's kind of what happened is you trade for Ty Lawson, a, a yeah. contagious, you know, I guess, player and of of questionable intangibles, I guess, sure. is, is yeah, one absolutely. way to put what Ty Lawson is. And your whole team all of a sudden sucks at transition defense. And now even the people who watch your team get literally sick, really sick. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I'll actually have something on the on CBSSports.com about this on Saturday. Uh, so if you want to kill... I don't know, about an hour on Saturday watching horrible clips and watching me, you know, question my life through text <laughs> uh, as the hours go on. I watched two and a half hours of Houston Rockets transition defense, and uh, that counts all the makes and the misses and the turnovers and the fouls, and it was really, really bad. And you just see this this lack of, really a lack of eff- effort, and you can automatically go like, oh, well, it's James Harden. James Harden is part, partly to blame, but like Trevor Ariza's not trying, Dwight Howard wasn't trying, Ty Lawson is a ball rack out there. I mean, there's mm-hmm. just no, there's nothing good happening unless it's Corey Brewer chasing somebody down. Right, and, and I, I'm curious because I also am worried about their health a little bit too. I mean, Dwight Howard is out tonight with his back issues. Uh, Ty Lawson's out due to, the, due to the suspension, but he also had an injury on Monday, n- non-suspension related, that kept him out of that game. So it, you, you kind of look and, and beyond... That I don't think that their bench is very strong. Uh, I mean, they're counting a lot on Montrez Harrell to play some right. good minutes, and and he's done fine-ish. You know, he's been a defensive presence. He's he's not a good offensive player. Uh, I I just I don't know. I, I I don't see how it comes together for them. And I I can see how they finished the season with an over five hundred record, but ultimately I think some form of chaos is likely to hit the Houston Rockets even even more so than it already has this season. And so I'm going to sell their their record moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I just I just see, you know, if Dwight Howard goes down for a long stretch of time, it, it starts to get really ugly. Uh if, you know, Ty Lawson is traded, then they they're short a point guard, although um, Ty Lawson's pretty much as bad as as any bad, replacement man. level yeah. point guard would be. Uh I, I mean, I I just am not optimistic about the future of the Houston Rockets. Uh, they fired a coach and nothing has happened. Nothing has changed like, at all. Nothing's changed at all. Which is, yeah, that's 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 true. That's discouraging. And it doesn't look like they'll replace that coach anytime soon. You know, it looks right. like JB Bickerstaff is here to stay for the rest of the season. All right, let's switch to Houston's opponent uh, tonight, the Utah Jazz. Buy or sell the Jazz having a healthy roster at some point this season, minus Dante Exum. Okay, so, so Derek Favors coming back, Rudy right. Gobert came back tonight, and Alec Burks uh, coming back. And also, nobody else getting hurt in the meantime. That doesn't sound like it's asking a lot. No. So I'm going to buy that, and I'm going to buy it comfortably. Okay. Um, but it is the NBA, and anything can happen with this kind of stuff, and, and dumb injuries happen all the time. But Rudy is back, and Derek Favors really could be back any time. Right. Um, he's just been kind of day-to-day. And then Burks, we think, is going to be back before the All-Star break. So do I think they can get healthy by the all-star break and not lose anybody yeah i'll buy that so i am i'm selling again and again oh, no. maybe this is me being the pessimist but i look i i saw Derek favors kind of walking around monday uh and he he looked pretty ginger ginger in his movements i guess and, okay. and he didn't warm up at all that game he didn't he didn't participate in shoot around uh just kind of walking around the locker room he took very kind of small steps which is not a good thing for an nba uh player to be right. doing kind of moving that gingerly and yeah I mean, it, it's still back spasms. It's still 
technically day to day. I but that he didn't travel on this trip, I think, is pretty indicative of of how serious the issues is that that he's having. So I, I don't see him returning for like another ten days or so, honestly. Wow. And then Alec Burks, uh, I, I've heard longer than before the All Star break. I, th- I think we're looking at beginning of March. So in in my mind. Can the Jazz stay, keep all of the rest of their players healthy for the next two months? And I just think that like some form of evil luck lightning bolt is going to hit and take out, I don't know, Trey Burke for a while or whatever the case is my, by my, the end of the season. My answer is way season. more fun than yours. yours is, uh, you're a positive person. <laughs> I am a positive despite, person. <laughs> despite the sickness, you right. feel yeah. joy and, and positivity. Right. It's, it's and sapped out all me. of my negativity. I'm sorry. And, and part of it is I have to disagree with you, right? Like, right, what that's fun is it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this, this is sports talk radio, Zach. <laughs> we have to fight each other in person in order for it to be good radio. That's how this works. <laughs> I know. That is, that's how people make millions of dollars <laughs> doing this. Yes. <laughs> we, I mean, who's playing Skip? Who's playing Stephen A? Oh, I don't, I don't know. Neither of us. <laughs> good. Our, our ESPN colleagues. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, all right. Yours, this is a good one. You, you added in. We have our eight teams in the Western Conference playoffs already. I, the, the top eight in the Western Conference will stay the same. Let me just read those names out for everyone. Uh, Golden State, San Antonio, Oklahoma City, Los Angeles, Dallas, Memphis, Houston, and Utah. That leaves out Sacramento, Portland, Denver, Phoenix, Minnesota, New Orleans, and the Lakers. Uh, I'm buying that. I, think, I, I don't know what order it's going to be in. Um, I do think, though, that... I guess the wild card here for me is Sacramento. I don't think much of Denver. I don't think much of Portland's defense, so I don't think they can get it together. Um, Phoenix is an absolute just mess. It's a complete dumpster fire, so they're not going to do it. Minnesota's not any good. New Orleans, even if they wanted to, their start was historically bad in terms of trying to make the playoffs, and then the Lakers are a segment that we like to laugh at, right? Right. So so that's not going to happen. I I think the Kings are a wild card because they have been – pretty good with DeMarcus Cousins, and every time it looks like we're ready to count them out, uh, they make a run, and then every time we are ready to buy in, they kind of fall apart. Uh, so I guess if the Jazz are going to be as injured as you think they are... Um, I'm then, not saying that they'll could, be very injured. They I think they just out. get one more injury. But I think, I think we have our eight. I'm buying that. Yeah, I, I'm buying it too. I mean, you just kind of look at the talent levels of those of those teams be, behind that line, if you will. Uh, Tony Jones from the Salt Lake Tribune called it the Mendoza line, which is not pretty, which is not the same, well, is it? I, yeah. Mendoza line is hitting 200 in baseball, right? So like that is that's the line this below which is not the very Lake- good right now. <laughs> Fair enough. The Lakers and and Sixers, I believe, are below the Mendoza line, but everyone else, okay. I'm saying, is at least decent. You need a 200 winning percentage. Let's put it that way. Uh, but you look at the talent on these rosters, and honestly, I think the Pelicans might be the most talented team, except they only have 11 wins this season. Right. Uh, you're right that the Kings have some talent, and but uh, I mean, I just am essentially never buying the Kings until proven otherwise at this point, right? They all with a decade and a half of futility at this point. Right. And, well, and they've I think like the last three years they've been like 28, 28, and 29 wins. There is a certain point where it looks like they're going to get over the hump this year, but if Cousins goes down, they're screwed. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, that's that's a good point. And and I just don't think they've got the defense. I mean, it, it's defense is really bad. It, yeah, it's ugly. Uh, and, and so uh, the Jazz are kind of that bubble team, but ultimately the Jazz are getting talent back. You know, they're they're adding talent, not. I don't know, losing talent potentially. I, I think I think you're right. I think we we see those eight teams. The the top seven are already very good. Um, 
I mean, I guess if Houston does worse than I've said so far, then maybe they could fall out. But even then, I, I don't know if the Kings are, are better than they've played so far. I mean, technically, Dallas is relying a lot on Raymond Felton and Darren Williams, so things could go poorly. But yeah. they've built enough of a cushion to probably be okay. And J.J. Barea weeks. Like the- J.J. Barea is like... The new Steph Curry. <laughs> like if you look, he's shooting are... like fifty-eight percent over the last two weeks. For really, three. it's incredible. So, but yeah, I mean, they're fine if Darren goes down because they just played JJ Perea for JJ thirty-six Perea. minutes yeah. and it will work. It'll be fine. Hundred percent sure, we're good. All right, uh, next one. Speaking of another Western Conference team, Jeff Hornacek keeps his job all year. I'm gonna sell this one yeah. so quickly. See, and I think I'm gonna buy it, and not just to disagree with you, but. Ultimately, if they would have fired him, wouldn't they have done that already? Like, no, Robert Sarver is going to find out that like Jeff Hornacek is probably technically a millennial, and, just, <laughs> and then he'll be like, "All right, you're like, out." Wait, how old are you again? <laughs> he'll find just some way to find his contract paperwork. It'll, it'll work. I, I, I mean, I like Jeff Hornacek a lot. Obviously, former Utah Jazz coach, yeah. former Utah Jazz player. Um, clearly, just super smart. Um, it's not clear that he's like a personality manager. Uh, and, and, you know, that's a very different job when you're a head coach compared in a, to an assistant coach. Right. If he were fired, Gordon Hayward would, like, petition for him immediately to be signed as a jazz assistant well, coach. Two years ago, it looked like he was a very good coach yeah. up and coming. I mean, he, in his first year, you can look at it and say, oh, it was fluky. But that team was supposed to be, like, Sixers bad tanking. Right. And they won 48 games. I don't think that was a fluke. I think the problem is, is that the Suns did what they do with their – ownership on down mm-hmm. and and they tinkered with it too much and they brought in these these not bad people like Isaiah Thomas isn't a bad guy but he's had some questionable influences on the play on court while getting his own numbers right and that didn't jive well with Goran Dragic it didn't jive well with Eric Bledsoe and you start shuffling in and we've seen so many things in the NBA where if you don't build continuity and you're constantly moving parts in and out that just crumbles yeah and it's it's definitely true and I'm just I'm I think two things killed them. First of all, that first season of 48 wins raised expecta- expectations. You know, they, they probably yeah, maybe outplay their talent. Yeah. Right. And, and last year, they just lost so many close games and buzzer beaters. It, it, sure. was, it was ridiculous. Just like they, I think they lost five separate games that season on buzzer beaters and then like another eight uh, within like four or five points. I mean, and to start out this season, they lost a bunch of close games. So you, you look at that and you look at reasons why players are unhappy and winning solves so many problems. I just think, you know, if, if a few of those go the sun's way, if, if those buzzer beating shots rattle out, then they, they actually had some really good talent in Drogic and Isaiah Thomas and, and the whole, and Len. And I think they go in a whole different direction, which doesn't include Markeith Morris being a baby. Right. I, well, all right, buy or sell this. Markeith Morris lasts longer than Jeff Hornacek. Uh, sell. I'm going to buy it because I don't think they're going to move his contract because it's too low. I, I mean, it's I a very, was, very I, good contract. But I think Sarver's, for the I think level- Sarver's that dumb. I really do. <laughs> I think he's going to look at him and be like, oh, $8 million a year. We'll keep him for That's a while. That's pretty good. But for the level he's playing at, it's not good. For shooting like 36% from the field or whatever it is. Right, but I mean, once the cap goes up, that's a, that's a mid-level deal. If, uh, unless he's like permanently a replacement level player without his brother, right? There Which, is some weird like twin power thing going on. Yeah, for sure. Where he lost like I don't know eight points off his per because his brother's not on the team anymore. Well, I think it's that like they got to beat up people together right. on the. Well, that's <laughs> always a game. good team building exercise. <laughs> and it was you know you work, you work together right, better. Yeah. That that's what was. 
the allegation was, right? Like that yeah, they, they, like, they assaulted somebody? Yeah, they assaulted like a family friend or something like oh, that. Oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah, so it's a, it's a very close <laughs> situation. Uh, Jimmer Fredette, always a popular topic on Utah Sports Radio. Welcome, by the way, to Utah. I'm still in on Jimmer. <laughs> you play basketball with me. You know I'm in on Jimmer. <laughs> Jimmer Fredette getting a year-long NBA contract in the future. I, someone at some point gives him a, a guaranteed year-long contract. He stays in the NBA guaranteed for an entire season. Um, I mean, if it's guaranteed two years, that counts too. But I'll buy this just because Anthony Randolph, I know he's taller, but Anthony Randolph kept getting Not jobs. at this point, though, right? In well, year no. five? I think he still had contracts. All right, I'm looking it up. Um, and he wasn't any good. And so no. Jimmer at least has a skill but, that you can look to in terms of three-point shooting in theory. And I think that he can at least get a, a partially guaranteed one-year deal that will keep him past that, that waiver deadline. Okay, so Jimmer, let's see. Anthony Randolph did stay in, in the NBA for, let's see, five seasons. Okay. So that would be Jimmer's this year. But he started he started playing in the league when he was 19, right. whereas Jimmer is, you know, started playing in the league when he was 22, 23. Right. Uh maybe 21, whatever. But regardless, uh you know, y- you had still some youth left. And Anthony Randolph was a very very toolsy guy, right? Like you could see potential there and just like how tall and lanky he was, right? Yeah, but I mean, he also just made horrible decision after horrible decision. Sure, but at all times. Devale McGee ditto. And still has a contract. Right. I mean, that's how bad Anthony Randolph is. <laughs> Fair. I, I just, I, I am selling this because ultimately, if it didn't work out with the Spurs, everyone loves and like bows down towards the Spurs right. so much that it, if they think, if they see that it didn't work out in San Antonio, I don't know that another franchise is like, oh, well, we can definitely pick you up. Here, here's why I think it'll happen is because it's such a copycat league. People are going to be so desperate to find the next Steph Curry. Not saying Jimmer is capable of that. I think there's a dumb enough GM out there to say, well, Jimmer was kind of Steph Curry in college. Let's give him a one-year deal and see. Okay. I also like to root for chaos, and I think it's very chaotic to give Jimmer a one year deal. Yeah, oh I mean, oh for sure. Like if if you want like your the Jimmer fans to come and attack your current fan base, you should definitely oh, give Jimmer a one. I already dealt with deal. the Jimmer fans. Back, oh, in Sacramento? Lap- um, no, before that, this is when he was, his last year at BYU, because oh. I went to San Diego State, oh, okay. I'm a huge Kawhi Leonard person, and, and I was talking up Kawhi Leonard on Twitter back when they had their battles. Did you, did you, I, I like, was finally right about something. Tweet, yeah, each of them individually, like, neener, neener, neener. I think I have them favorited somewhere. I've got <laughs> to get on that, because I'm that petty. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I just don't see it, like, I, I think peop- this league's going more A towards longer, taller point guards, which Jimmer right. is not, and B towards defensive point guards a little bit. And if you're a fringe player, anyway, you know, given that Jimmer is not Steph Curry, yeah, I, I think ultimately, like Seth Curry, doesn't have a spot in the league. I mean, he's on the Kings, is he? Yeah, okay, but it's it's a very fluid situation. I don't I don't think he's guaranteed all that much. Fair, okay. So not it's not a guaranteed one year deal. I think Jimmer could get back on the Kings. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. Well, no, because don't the Kings like hate him now and his representation? Like, wasn't there a we're significant ta- we're drama? Talking, we're talking Vivek here. Anything can happen. Okay, anything can happen. Yeah. Uh, I added a new one at after this first half of of Jazz Rockets because of how he played. Trey Lyles um, put up some excellent numbers in, in the first half uh, and a pretty ridiculous dunk. Five five points, four rebounds, one assist, one steal, two blocks for Trey Lyles, which I think was impressive. Buy or sell him outperforming his draft slot moving forward. What was he, 12th? 
Yes. Um, does this count with like guys who were behind him? He has to outperform these guys. No, just, just like for the average twelfth pick, you know, so you're like, like a, average a top seven rotation player. Yeah, I think no, I'll buy that. Okay. I think he's good. Like I think he makes a lot of dumb rookie. Mistakes, yeah, but uh, especially on defense. But I think that I don't know. I just I'm not I'm not big on judging a rookie after two. Yeah. Months. and I think that in a in an environment like the Jazz where you, they're big on development, they're big on um, you know who they bring in and who they you know, really give those development hours to, I think he can become a very um, productive rotation guy. I don't know that he's a starter in this league, but I think he could be a third big man. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. And yeah, I, I don't think he's like a star level player. I don't think he has like that athleticism. I right. don't, you know, he hasn't shown flashes in that direction that show that he could be that. But I do think that, yeah, he can be a third-level big man. He can make shots like this one, although he oh, just clanked it off the backboard. Bad timing. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, ultimately be kind of a glue guy, uh, good passer that you can plug and play into most lineups right. and, and have it work out. Uh, and, and that's actually a pretty good outcome for the 12th pick, which has been riddled with a lot of failures over yeah, the years. My, my take on like first-round picks is obviously if you get a top three, five, whatever – you want to make sure those guys are really good. Mm-hmm. You just can't miss on those picks. Like if you can still get rotation guys, no matter where that pick is in the first round, I think that you end up, you know, ultimately winning that pick. Right. And so all you have to do is make Trey Lyles a rotation guy, and I think he is that. Yeah, I mean, you look at like 82 games to the st- uh, study a few years ago, looking at the average career stats by draft pick number, and number 12, the average 12th pick in the draft averages 6.6 points per game, 3.7 rebounds per game, 1.3 assists per game, and then ends up having a PER of 11.6. Trey Lyles can do that. I think that's very easy to do, yeah. Yeah, I mean, right now he's at a 10 PER or so, so like there still needs to be improvement, but he's just 20 years old. Like it, it's, I think it's going to happen. I've got one before the break. All right. Buy or sell. Joe Ingles in the three-point contest. Because all he does is shoot threes now, and I'm in on this. I want it. Yeah. I, I, need, I think the three-point contest needs more international flavor. I've never seen a teammate talk more trash to his teammates during pregame warm-ups <laughs> than Joe Ingles. So yeah. I'm, the more Joe Ingles, the better. I, I agree. He needs to be introduced to a national audience. Absolutely. I, I, I buy that. Didn't you call Steph Curry the Australian Joe Ingles? He did. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, we, we all need more of that. Yeah, I, I think more of that. And, 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 you know, if he can just do his I, – I, he may not be able to finish the three-point contest with his slow release. Oh, no, release. no, he may like, get to the middle rack. Right. <laughs> he may get tired at that point. We had never seen him play a whole lot. But so long as he gets – so long as he makes the first 15 shots yeah, and then time will run out, oh, it, it'll be a, a good enough score. And if you and you can set it up. Don't they still have, like, the money rack? Yeah, so, so just yeah, make it the first one? First one. Perfect. Corner shot. You can easily do that. Love it. All right. We got to take a break. On the other side, we're going to be talking about the all-star voting and the all-star rosters moving forward. We'll let you know how the the voting came out today. The the second round of results were released. Uh, Whether or not there are any jazz men in that list and and who surprisingly is in the top 10 of that list. That's next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Talking hoops and the association. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. Andy Larson here alongside Zach Harper. Uh, as always, you can tweet us at Andy B. Larson or at Zach Harper. Call us at 877. At Talk Hoops. I don't know who uh, Zach Harper is. Oh, yeah. At Although he's probably, he can probably answer questions let's, as well. Let's look up at Zach Harper and just have New him Zealand. bother him. Well, then, I tried to get it for a long time, and I couldn't get it. But Talk Hoops is better. Talk Hoops is like, I'm 
talking hoops. I don't know. Right, but that but, puts pressure on me to actually talk hoops. Oh, so it's it's just false advertising. Oh, it's very much false advertising. Yeah. All right, fair enough. Well, right now you are—I mean, not this second, but during this show—you are talking hoops. Yeah. No, contractually obligated. Yes. <laughs> did, did we make you sign a contract? I don't know. Is that is that something we should have done? <laughs> Uh, shout out to Jazz Nation, by the way, at Jazz Nation News for tweeting us uh, during halftime, saying just tweeting it out, the show out to everyone. We appreciate his support um, and, you know, getting people to listen to the show. Even though there's a Jazz game going on, Jazz currently down to the Rockets, 54-53, six minutes left in the third quarter. Um, Rudy Gobert has played all of five minutes, but that he's back is a great sign for the Jazz. And in those five minutes, he's already a plus 10. So that's... Uh, you know, play him more. <laughs> Rudy Gobert coming into the there game. There we go. Perfect timing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Two points, three rebounds in his five minutes so far. All right. So we wanted to talk about the All Star voting uh, this year, and in particular, uh, there there are a, kind of a lot of little subplots to this as to who makes the All Star game, and a, a kind of a few weird points. So the NBA released the second, uh, I guess. Amount of, of votes. What what's what would you call that? The second uh, release returns. Returns. Yeah. Thank you. Second yeah. Returns. Uh, on the vote totals this year in the in the NBA All Star uh, contest, and, and so far Kobe Bryant is is basically dominating everyone. He has one point two million votes. The next closest is Steph Curry with only nine hundred twenty five thousand. I can't believe Steph Curry is getting outvoted by Kobe Bryant or by anyone by three hundred thousand votes. Steph Curry is is having probably the best season ever. I mean, one of them. Yeah, I mean, so... He's on pace for like 350 three-pointers or something ridiculous like that. Yeah, I mean, so it's absurd. So Kobe Bryant is your number one Western Conference front court vote-getter. Kevin Durant is number two. Draymond Green is number three. I'm surprised to see him so high up in in the the fan voting as well. Right, because I figured everyone hated him because he he talks so much smack to... The rest of the league that people are upset by that, right? But the Bay Area, a lot of people in the Bay Area. Well, and so that's why I would expect uh, Clay Thompson to have more votes. But Draymond does have more votes than Clay Thompson by about seventy thousand or so. I think the idea of Draymond Green in an All Star game is pretty fun. Oh yeah, I I love it. It's yeah. like a facilitator and like trash talker and right. and matching up against whoever the East Eastern's best player is, probably LeBron, presumably. I would think so. I yeah. mean. Yeah, it uh, would be a lot of fun. I mean, I guess if he does start, it would be LeBron. Uh, yeah, I, I love him in the All-Star game. Kawhi Leonard, number four right now. Blake Griffin, five. Anthony Davis, six. All of these names belong in the All-Star game. They all Tim, make sense. Tim Duncan still getting votes is pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, you know, not necessarily a fan favorite, but fans are showing him a little bit of love, which is cool. Number eight is Zaza Pachulia. Yeah. The uh, erstwhile... Dallas Maverick Center is erstwhile a fair characteristic sure, for his uh, He's, I don't know. He's, <laughs> he's been good this season. He's been good. Um, it seemed like there were some Kings fans upset on Twitter today that Zaza Pachulia had more votes than DeMarcus Cousins, to which I would say, well, isn't that your fault? Yeah, so Zaza is eighth on the on the balloting list, and DeMarcus Cousins is ninth. Zaza has about 4,000 more votes than, than DeMarcus Cousins. Are we, are we underestimating the Republic of Georgia? Which is where he is from? <laughs> Maybe we. Sh- I mean, that's probably worth four thousand votes, right? Minimum. Yeah. Yeah. Where's Demarcus Cousins from? Alabama. Okay, so Republic of Georgia greater than state of Georgia slash Alabama. I right. know they're yeah. not the same, but <laughs> not, not quite the same. Actually, I think a lot of people would fight you for saying that. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just got myself killed. But anyway, uh, I, 
I'm surprised by that. I mean, props to Dallas fans, I guess. Yeah. But then number 10 you know, of interest to Jazz fans and locally, Ennis Cantor, Oklahoma City's backup center, <laughs> is 180, has 183,000 votes. Okay, we don't see any Jazz players on, at no. least in the returns of the top 15 front court players no. and the top 10 guards, which is fine. I don't think that that's a big deal, but I don't think you can let Ennis Cantor outvote any of the players on the Jazz. Right. I mean, uh, one way to put it is Ennis Cantor has more votes than Gordon Hayward and, and Derek Favors combined. Right. So that's not great. I, and I feel like a lot of Jazz fans have honestly given up on this whole all-star affair. Like, ultimately, it's been so long since the Jazz had an all-star um, representative in, right. in the game itself. They don't really believe that Derek Favors or Gordon Hayward belong there enough to like make the actual balloting push and ultimately they're still kind of a small market right like yeah. they don't certainly have the number of fans that say Oklahoma City said, does because I actually hate it when when a lot of people are out there just voting for every guy that's on their team mm-hmm. because it's their team right and instead of voting for the guys they feel is deserving uh so I'm going to retract what I just said about the Jazz fans being uh not as great for letting Ennis Cantor beat Derek Favors and Gordon Hayward. So combined. you're just saying that the Jazz fans are voting for Ennis Cantor. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> I think that's actually going to get me because killed. he deserves it. Right. Yes. No. I, I I guess that's one way to look at it. I I I suspect Jazz fans are more heavily provincial than that and just have not been voting. Period. Right. Um, well, you know that you're if Derek Favors is getting in, it's because the coaches voted him. Right. So right. I mean, he was never going to like get votes compared. And to... And they really want to see Kobe Bryant anyway. So. Right. Which, which I think is fair. You know, yeah. give Kobe one last All-Star game. I'm okay with Kobe playing. I, I am too. Like, I think it's very, very weird that he has the number of votes that he does. It almost seems like too perfect that he's that far ahead of everybody. Yeah. I, uh, the NBA could rig these results, right? Well, we've been waiting for, like, the next scandal in the NBA. And this is it? What if, what if someone's just rigging these? I I just imagine Adam Silver just like, eh, just <laughs> 1.2 million sounds oh, good. Carry the one. You oh, know he who has 1.2 million. Who needs more votes? Zaza Pachulia. <laughs> like, honestly, if Adam Silver was making it up, he would probably not make that up. Right? I can't imagine. I, like, I mean, that would just be a weird thing. He'd be thing like, that's, a, that's, that's a an obvious giveaway. Right. <laughs> we can't put Zaza in the top 10. Uh, moving on down the list, after Ennis Cantor, LaMarcus Aldridge, Dwight Howard, Dirk Nowitzki, DeAndre Jordan, and then Harrison Barnes round out the top 15. Kind of a list that makes sense. Uh, in the guards for the West, Steph Curry, number one, Russ Westbrook, number two, Chris Paul, Clay Thompson, James Harden, Rajon Rondo, number six, kind of surprises me. Um, Andre Iguodala, seven, Manu Ginobili, eight, Tony Parker, nine, Damian Lillard, ten. It's weird. Well, Rondo's weird because, like, it wouldn't shock me if... Oh no! I guess it would shock me if he made the West All Star game. But I, if the Kings had a better record, them getting Cousins and Rondo in, like Rondo, it does seem like a guy where the coaches would say, "Hey, he's having, he's leading the league in assists. Let's put him in." Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, if coaches didn't hate him by, right, you know, by their duty, right. having it probably hurts his case that Rick Carlisle is like the head of all coaches. Right. He, yeah, he's the head of the coaches' association, and right. so therefore is probably has probably told every coach in the NBA some pretty bad stories yeah. about Rondo. Right. And yeah, it was never like a coach's dream before that. Anyway, he doesn't have a great reputation. No. But Rondo in the All Star game again, probably someone who makes the All Star game more fun. You need guys who pass. You yeah. need guys who throw lobs, um, which is why I want Andre Miller in. He's probably gonna start. He's probably gonna try some like Jason Williams stuff in the All Star game, right? Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. 
Moving on to the Eastern Conference, LeBron James, number one. Paul George, number two vote-getter in the, in the East, so that, that's kind of cool. I mean, he, he deserves it with his play. Andre Drummond, three. Carmelo Anthony, four. Pau Gasol, five. Six, Chris Bosh. Seven, Kevin Love. Eight, Hassan Whiteside. Nine, Kristaps Porzingis. Ten, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Eleven, Jonas Valanciunas. Twelve, Marcin Gortat. Thirteen, Joakim Noah. Fourteen, Damari Carroll. Fifteen, Paul Millsap. Mostly, I'm just surprised at how low the vote totals are for the East Coast uh, Eastern Conference teams compared to the Western Conference it teams. It almost seems like nobody's voting for the East. Which, I mean, I I kind of get because you're you know instead of voting for Lamarcus uh, Lamarcus Aldridge in as the 11th best front court big man, I guess right. you're voting for like Gortat and Damari Carroll and and Jonas Valanciunas and Giannis Antetokounmpo, who like is a good young player but is not. I don't know, all-star level necessarily. They don't, they don't have actual ballots anymore, right? Where you like punch out the little circles? I don't know. I, I haven't I haven't seen them in the arenas. In, I know. I I they used to like get those together and then at, as at least here at, in Salt Lake City, like would stack 20 together for you and be yeah. like, "Here is 20 votes and a punch thing." Right. So you can vote at once and yeah. have like hundreds and hundreds of ballots from one fan. And maybe the NBA realized that teams were doing that. I don't Probably. know. <laughs> I think maybe the best argument for getting rid of uh, conferences would be the All-Star game and not the playoffs. Really? Yeah. Explain. Because uh, I think that you would get better All-Star games. I think there's more talent. So how, how would you split up the teams? Would you choose team captains? Yeah, I think that's the way to go. That's, that would be fun. Like I think you could do it to where fans vote in, I don't know, a few players. Okay. Coaches vote in the rest. and then Or fans vote the two captains. And then the captains. I like that. So your fan, your fan captains this year would be Kobe and Steph. Yeah. And then they just pick two teams from whatever. From a a pool of players that get elected into the all-star game. I like that. I mean, so what if, uh, so, but you, so the fans and coaches get to choose the players. So like Steph can't choose, you know, like. No, he can't like put Maurice Spates in the game. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's not going to happen. James Michael McAdoo. Right. Congrats. You're playing. No, no. It's got to be an agree, like the coaches vote in. Who, however many players. The, yeah, the 30 players yeah, or whatever. Yeah, fans vote in however many players. And, I like it. Yeah. I mean, can I you imagine, like, some of the rivalries game. that might happen? That's you know, like, what I want to see. Like, if Westbrook doesn't go number one, he's going to be furious. That's true, but Most of he's not going to go number one, right? right? Like, and then he's LeBron be, and... Well, we saw a great show in New York with him. Like, he scored, like, 46 points or something like that. I think we would get yeah. a lot of, like, Like, angry efforts. people? Yeah. I, and maybe a little bit of feistiness. If, a lot if of feistiness. Not... And you put Draymond Green in there, there's a lot of trash talk. <laughs> All right, you've sold me. I'm in. I, I, I like it a lot. Or just have the coaches pick. That or, would be kind of fun, That would too. also be acceptable. Um, maybe I think the players picking is more fun, but just to see like who Popovich would pick at any given, if he were to, yeah. to vote, would well, be Because you always have to fun. sell it, too, right? So you can have that as a night on like Inside the NBA on TNT. Is oh, the players yeah. draft. I mean, they already have Charles and Kenny picking the, exactly. the rookie sophomore teams. Yeah. Like, this just is a continuation of that. I like it. Let me just wrapping up the Eastern Conference guards just for completion's sake. Dwayne Wade, number one. Kyrie Irving, number two. Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler, John Wall, DeMar DeRozan, Derek Rose, who doesn't belong in the game, Jeremy Lin, Isaiah Thomas, and Reggie Jackson. The East is kind of short of good guards, I'll be honest. Yep. All right. Well, that's our, our conversation of the All-Star voting. I agree with Zach. We need to have a new... Uh, setup where, yeah, players pick. Players pick. That's the way to go. All right. We got to take a break on the Salt City Hoop Show. Next segment, we're going to be talking about some referee stuff that happened at the end of Monday's game. Uh, first of all, uh, probably the worst no call I've seen in my time watching basketball 
I'll see if Zach agrees. And then uh, some new, like, referee procedure stuff. I know it sounds very exciting, but you will want to listen. It's next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. <laughs> All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. Sorry, that was a shorter break than I expected, but regardless, we are back on live. Uh, Jazz are currently down on Rockets on a little mini run right now, 70 to 64. Uh, Rockets also at the free throw line. Basically, the Jazz's bench is a little bit of a of a problem. I think it's fair to say an adventure. And um, basically, lineups where you've got Trey Burke as your primary creator next to Joe Ingles, who's pretty turnover prone, next to Trevor Booker and Trey Lyles, who are not very good defensively, add up to, yeah, an adventure, like you said. So, anyway, we wanted to get into this referee thing from Monday night um, a, a few days ago now, but the Jazz were, I, I think it's fair to say, we're completely hosed <laughs> on with 22 seconds left in Monday night's game. Jeff Withy goes up for a dr- uh, dunk, assisted by Trey Burke, and gets fouled not once but twice, once from James Harden in the back, uh, and pretty intentionally so. James Harden kind of yeah. traveled across the, across the floor to push him in the back to try to you know send Withy to the line instead of the dunk. And then Montrez Harrell fouled him on the arm uh, from the other side of the play, kind of going for the block. Definitely was trying for it, but regardless, fouled him. And actually raised his hand to kind of own the foul before realizing that well, it was a no call. Before and then like transitioned it into a wave, which is not <laughs> even a finger point. He just waved. It was like it was kind of like a royal wave. Yeah, it <laughs> that's was. what it was. And yeah, so Jason Terry gets the ball, kind of holds it in his elbow, like he thinks the play is stopped. Like clearly, the Rockets have committed a foul here. Right. And the the refereeing crew of Eli Rowe, Tony Jones, uh, not Tony Jones. Uh, I uh, forget the second ref's name. And Tom Washington. Mark Jones. Mark Jones, I think. I, I could have made that up. I think there's. Uh, that might be a ref. <laughs> uh, regardless, that ref crew made no no calls. Um, and ultimately, I, I it's a little bit simplistic to say it cost the Jazz a game, but down two. That dunk would have tied the game with 22 seconds left. It gives you a better chance of winning than than what the Jazz ended up having, which is trying to score three with 10 seconds left. Admittedly, they got to the free throw line. Rodney Hood didn't make all the the free throws, but still, two points would have been very helpful. Yeah, I don't think it. I I have a hard time saying like one call costs anybody a game, right? Um, and that a ref like blew a game for a team because uh, I just think too much adds up to that moment. Yeah. Uh, to to really say that. But at the same time, they blew a big moment. Yeah. And that and that's the tough part is that you execute well, you execute to the point where the other team has to foul you uh, to prevent the shot from going in, and they clearly foul you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, James Harden pushes from behind, pushes the arm from behind, Harrell hits it like you said, um, and and to the point where it did look like everyone stopped, like everyone expected a foul. And, and I think it's frustrating from the standpoint of, well, even if the league puts out the two-minute report and says – Hey, we we got this one wrong. What does that actually do? Like that doesn't Nothing actually do anything to help. Like you already knew that they blew the call, <laughs> right? So what? It, like them admitting it doesn't mean anything, right? It was kind of funny because the the question was how would how they would describe the foul, whether they would describe right. it on both parties, and actually that's what they ended up doing. Uh, so the NBA has this new, cool new policy this year where media members can ask 
referees about any given play during a game, which is different from prior years where it was only kind of rule interpretation kind of things right. that, that the media could uh, assign a pool reporter to and then ask a specific question about like a rule interpretation question that ended up being critical in that game. And as a result, it rarely happened. This year, kind of recognizing that the, the last two-minute report wasn't enough, they went and said, okay, now referees can answer questions about specific critical plays during the course of a game. So far this season, it's been used four times. Um, one when Derek Fisher was ejected. Right. Uh, once when on the defensive goaltending call, where the kind of the backboard shook a little bit, and so it was it was a question whether or not that would be defensive goaltending. Uh, one was an out of bounds call where just LeBron stepped out of bounds and it wasn't called either way. And so the media in kind of these game changing uh, play circumstances now has the ability to ask. To send a pool reporter to go knock on the locker room the, of the referees and ask them a specific question about one or two plays during the game. On Monday night, that was me. Uh, and so, you know, I, I went through that process and, and wrote a whole article about it on KSL.com. But uh, what ended up happening was referee crew chief Tom Washington said no and actually declined the request. And it sounds like he was, thought it was because. They're kind of operating under the rules of last year. Right. Where, and, you know, honestly, the past 25 years, quite frankly, Washington's been a referee in the league for 24 years. Uh, basically, if it's not a rule interpretation question, I don't have to answer it, so go away. So that was a little bit disappointing because I think that's what fans want in that circumstance is, is you know, hey, referees, what did you see on that play? What What happened from your point of view? With or without having seen it after the game. Well, yeah, and I think that, you know, again, it doesn't change anything, but I think right. you want you at least want some kind of, you know, breaking the fourth wall or pulling back the curtain mm-hmm. or whatever and and seeing like, all right, did you guys actually miss the call? Did you think that he got all ball? Did you just not see it? Because sometimes referees will admit to players or coaches, look, I just didn't see it. Right. And which is not it's not necessarily acceptable, but it's at least a reason, right? Yeah. And you want to see a reason like you can't you can't have possibly looked at that play and said, "Oh, he got all ball." Right. Like that's just not it's just not possible from any angle. Um and it's easier when we get to see, you know, slow-mo replays and all that stuff, but we I it seemed pretty obvious to everyone in real time like, "Hey, he got hammered." And, and having it happen from two different angles hopefully right. should reduce the, the right. likelihood that Unless you miss it at that fouls level, right? Now cancel each other out. <laughs> now, maybe that's the new rule. Like the the what is it? The Will Ferrell basketball movie. What's it called? Oh, semi pro. Yeah, semi pro. Where the does the alley oop and, yeah, and like, foul? No, two fouls. Two fouls. <laughs> uh, that's one of my favorite scenes in cinematic history. It's great because mostly it's it's a basketball. Well, I movie. think it's also disappointing too that the process was declined. Right, and so uh, kind of following up on that. Um, Kind of, I spoke to the NBA. The actually, the NBA contacted me Tuesday and actually apologized for Tom Washington not having accepted this request. That's kind of, I mean, that's um, kind of which cool is in a way. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool that that the NBA was like, look, you know, we we mess this one up, we take responsibility. And actually, Tom Washington uh, sent me an email today, actually apologizing to me in person for wow. to me and Jody and Aaron, uh, the the beat writers for the, for the Jazz. Uh, apologizing for accidentally turning down this request, saying, you know, it, it won't happen again, and, and it was just my lack of understanding of the new rules, and, and I apologize, you did kids do a good job, etc. And, and I thought that was very nice. So I wanted to kind of publicly say thanks to the NBA for for making it right. Yeah, but, I mean, with it being a new process, it is understandable, I guess, that he right. would be confused on that because they have to iron out the kinks with that stuff, but at least they're willing to admit that they got that wrong along with 
a lot of other calls that night. Yeah, that was the other thing. Is the last two minute report didn't only point to that call, but also kind of a slew of specific calls right. that, that the NBA that those refs missed. I thought they were. I, you weren't at this game, so I don't know if you've been able to see the whole game yet. I watched but, it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, I thought the referees were a little bit late on the whistles all night, and I don't know that anything drives me more crazy than like a very late whistle. As long as the call is correct, I'm okay with it. Okay. Um, but it does like there is part of you like, well, why did it take? The, did you, were you waiting to see if the shot missed? Were you waiting to see if he turned the ball over? You know, why did that happen? As long as the call is correct, I'm okay with that. It's the inconsistency with it that I have a problem with. Right. I, I always feel like. Uh, I always feel like when it's a late whistle, that means that you're probably taking context into play. Like whether yeah, or not the right. shot went in or, right. oh, wait, that's star player X or, uh, you know, I, what the reaction of the player was after the play. You know, the, whether or not he, he says he got fouled. And to me, I, I'd rather it be kind of a more pure, this is what I saw, this is what I didn't see kind of thing. I will say this. Uh, I used to coach a little bit okay. uh, with JV basketball in high school. And, um, and so sometimes you would run scrimmages and I would have to referee and I'm a really bad referee. <laughs> so there would be times where I miss calls and, and players would look to me and be like, why wasn't that a foul? And I would just say like, look, sometimes referees are going to miss calls. You have to learn how to play through it. Mm. Just covering my own, right. my own mistakes. <laughs> so maybe that's, maybe there's I'm trying to, to teach there. you a lesson. I'm trying kids. to teach you a lesson here. Really? I'm just a horrible referee, <laughs> but you know, there, there's something to pull out of this. I want to know more. So like I had the experience of, of playing basketball with you last weekend. Yeah. And what I learned is that you are a Jimmer Fredette player from, uh, from the three-point line, right. and ultimately we were playing in a, well, in a church. Too, I don't play much defense, <laughs> so it's perfect. Yeah, uh, you have short arms as well, like right, yeah. just little T-Rex yeah, arms, exactly. not moving side to side to yeah. not play defense. Uh, so that was cool, and it was on a little short church court. So like you taking an NBA three-point was basically taking a shot from half court, right? Which you know is, is entertaining at any. It's ambitious size at court. times, <laughs> right? Yeah. It all it does always kind of freak people out a little bit until you adjust it like no the actual footage here is still right. <laughs> still decent where where did you get that what tell me the story of your basketball playing career um well i used to be like one of the tall kids in my class okay uh, until like sixth grade so like i was like a center and then everyone just kept growing and i stopped growing so how come you're a good outside shooter then right like well, you i should to have teach a myself game. how to play because okay. i could like you can't be a like i sixth grade i was like five seven or something <laughs> five eight. like you can't be a five eight center right when, when okay. you get to high school so like i had to teach myself how to play um so i i don't know i started dribbling you know what actually helped me out a lot what uh street ball the and okay. one mixtape stuff yeah because then i just want to do all those cool moves so then you like really have to work on your handle and work on your shooting ability um and i don't know it's just more fun to shoot from a distance <laughs> where no one's expecting you to shoot and like i know you know i know how i look i know going out there i can surprise people for a few buckets and then once you get in the rhythm and you're shooting from deep it's just so much easier to go to like 25 feet and shoot a jumper than to like go into the paint. Right. So I, I don't know. It's more a fun. lot less work. And now like Steph Curry has made this a cool thing to where yeah. now I feel like I've been ahead of the game for a little while. See, you know, we hear like the Mark Jacksons of the world complain about that level, but really it sounds like that ruining, and Anwan mixtapes. I've been ruining basketball way longer than <laughs> Steph Curry. I, how are you? Are you in a example set for the children out there? You know, do people say I want to be like Steph Curry or Zach Harper? And yeah, have I think I, I think I've had a few people say that. Yeah, okay. You know, mostly incoherent <laughs> babbling, but I, but as long as it's something I hear, it's fine. See, and, and you saw way too much of my game too that weekend, which was just you were on the floor a lot. Like you're diving for basketball. I haven't, I didn't, I haven't. 
Do- dove? Divin for a basketball? <laughs> I can't even say it. I haven't done that in probably eight years. I think, like, I, it, it's not that I wanted to win. I just wanted to not be a zero. You know, like, I don't have any other, I don't have any basketball skills, per se. All I have is, like, kind of sort of willing to try, which is, <laughs> sure. which, if you're if you're the worst guy out there, you bring nothing to your team. See, then, I'm, I'm you definitely know. willing to try from three-point line to three-point line. Anytime, <laughs> anything inside that, I'm out. I just want to be invited with the rest of the team to ice cream afterwards. Sure. That's, that's, that's all, all I'm that's going all for. That's all we're looking for. That's all, that's all we want. All right. Next segment, we've got Seth Partnow of Nylon Calculus joining us on the show. He's going to talk about the stats of the NBA and also tell us a little bit more about the Utah Jazz performance this season next on Salt City Hoops, ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. Andy Larson here alongside Zach Harper joining you. Uh, So currently Jazz down 87-78. Rockets about to go to the free throw line. Six minutes left uh, in the fourth quarter. This one could slash may already be out of reach for the Jazz. I think it's done. Uh, Bad news. Rodney Hood is out, came out of the game with a with some sort of ankle injury, um, is out for the rest of the game, will be evaluated after the game, etc. Um, the Jazz do not need any more wing injuries because already their, their wing rotation was very thin, and we've got Gordon Hayward left as good Jazz wings, I think is, is probably it. Uh, Joe Ingles is playing the three right now. That's weird. I mean, he exists. Yeah, like, <laughs> he is an NBA player. I, I, I'm not sure I would characterize him as a good NBA player. Like he's he's not yeah. a good defensive. Like really, he just makes threes. That's his NBA skill. Did they use Elijah Millsap tonight? No, because he was waived. Right. So I mean, they need somebody out there. Uh, yeah, Chris Johnson has played 13 minutes and has been a minus 10 on the floor while he's been out there. So that's that's not pretty. Anyway. Uh, bad times in Jazzland, basically. Rudy Gobert, though, as as a positive update, did make a cool dunk. He did, the, yeah. Kind of did dunk, a cool didn't dunk on somebody, but he dunked next to somebody. Yeah, and yeah. it's good to see, especially after like an MCL sprain and and the that level of explosiveness, I right. guess, from a guy in his first game back, especially. He's still not like an offensive threat necessarily, but regardless. All right. Anyway. Enough talking. Let's let's bring on Seth Partnow of Nylon Calculus, part of the HP Basketball Network, uh, joining us. He is the the managing editor of Nylon Calculus. Seth, how are you? I'm doing fine, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you're on with with Zach and I, so uh, we we always love having you on the show. How how is how are you doing? You're in Alaska t- again tonight, right? Uh, yep. As in, in Anchorage after. Spending a day in the western edge of civilization that is Bethel yesterday. Really? How so, how yeah. many people live in Bethel? That is an excellent question, which I should have researched. Um, not that many. <laughs> it's just <laughs> but, a small western Alaskan city. Yes. Okay. Um, uh, jazz are going to hack yeah, a sorry, go Capella, ahead. by the way. I, this is like the second time all season they've hacked someone. Got to hack somebody. Anyway, we have specific questions for you, I promise. You, you did a great piece yesterday on uh, offensive rebounding, and in particular whether or not it's kind of a, a, a good strategy for teams and, and how much of an impact uh, it makes. Will you kind of tell our listeners what, what you ended up finding? Sure. So Zach Lowe wrote about offensive rebounding this week, and it's something that uh, a lot of people have been talking about this year and for a few years, really. 
is how uh, offensive rebounding has kind of dropped uh, both across the league and in terms of its seeming importance um, because teams have kind of realized that one of the best ways to prevent fast-break baskets is to uh, get back on defense instead of crash the offensive boards. Uh, and so that's the popular notion is that teams kind of starting with uh, with Doc Rivers Celtics teams uh, were one of the first major teams that did this and now – I think the Hornets are, are fairly, uh, not the Hornets, sorry, the, yeah, the Hornets are, are, are fairly extreme in, in that tendency as well, just in terms of, of conceding defensive rebounds for the most part and getting back on defense. Hmm. Uh, and uh, another aspect of it I want to look at is um, also just who is shooting from where. And because uh, in, in the past, I've found that um, offensive rebound rates are pretty heavily influenced by you know, which guy on the floor is taking the shot. Um, uh, the example I used in, in the piece was uh, Andre Drummond missing a layup is a pretty common offensive rebound because uh, he kind of can, he is an amazing offensive rebounder. And if he's missing a layup, he's already right near the basket to get the offensive rebound mm-hmm. versus kind of a big man shooting a jump shot. Um, and and uh, I guess the, the crux of, of the piece was that um, – the increase in three-pointers we've seen, especially among people playing power forwards, might have as much to do with the drop in offensive rebounding, if that makes sense. So some of the guys who would normally be crashing the most are now standing 24 feet from the basket and shooting, not necessarily in a position to contest for a rebound. Interesting. So is, is that uh, then, uh, I guess, a, a good strategy to use? Or is it just kind of, you know, look, the NBA has changed, and so this is a big reason why the offensive rebounding numbers have declined so much in the last five years. I would say it's, it's something that, that is whether or not it's, it's a good or bad thing, I think depends a lot on, on each specific team. I think a team like uh, the jazz, for example, are, are kind of pretty dependent on offensive rebounds just by nature of kind of their personnel. And, and, and maybe that's a, um, uh, an argument against even as his, his jump shot improves an argument against, you know, Derek favors spacing out that far, for example, when, uh, when, when they, in the mystical time at this point, when they returned the, the team returns to full health. <laughs> now that I, right. I guess, uh, Rodney, Rodney hood got injured tonight. I, I think I saw, right. Rudy Gobert comes back and then Rodney hood gets injured yeah. in the same game. It's, it's perfect, but regardless. And, and so that's a kind of a complicated thing when, when people talk about, well, why doesn't Blake Griffin or Lamarcus Aldridge or, or Anthony Davis shoot more threes? Well, there's a trade-off there. And it's not just the shots they take, but all the times that they're standing that far from the basket when they don't shoot. Um, and it just kind of takes them away from the basket. And, uh, and, and that, that's a trade-off. And whether or not it's worth it, it probably depends a lot on, on the, the team and the opponent and, and everything else. So, Seth, if you were coaching an NBA team, would you have them crash the boards? I mean, I guess it's personnel dependent, but isn't there kind of the idea that if you crash the boards, well, then they have to send other rebounders to go grab a rebound, and then maybe that allows less or fewer opportunities to get out on the break? I, You know, I think I probably would go for, go for crashing more from the bigs and, and try, to, try to set up an offense where the – uh, the, the wings were able to get back more. Um, one of the problems is with the kind of the, the advent of the corner three is that's actually a tough spot to get back on D mm-hmm. from. So you have, you know, you have, one, you have your, your, 
Oh, as my, my daughter wants to join us. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, uh, the, the, the two wings are kind of uh, stationed in the corners, and all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're almost out of the play, either for offensive rebounding or, or getting back on defense. So that's, that's, that almost makes it t- tough to have both bigs crash, right. because then the only person who can get back is the point guard, and, and now you're giving up, you know, three-on-ones. Right. With only your point guard back, and that's not an ideal spot. So again, it's a it, it, it's a it's tough. Uh, um, uh, apologies for the the semi pun. Tough calculus to, uh, to 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 figure out how to balance that between like an efficient offense and then uh, balance getting back on defense. Yeah, I, I thought both you and Zach had good looks at that uh, yesterday on on Nylon Calculus, and then Zach, of course, on ESPN.com. Uh, and it is something that kind of coaches our wing right now, especially I think this is something that Quinn Snyder thinks about a lot is like, look, this is what our team is good at, this offensive rebounding thing. Uh, but ultimately, it's not necessarily correlated with like winning, which is obviously kind of a, a worry. And, you know, maybe you do, and he's so focused on defense and so focused on, on transition defense, especially, that maybe it's, it's not the right thing. It's, it's a weird catch 22 that you kind of play, especially with a roster like the Jazz's. Yeah, I think that the, the correlation with winning, I think that it should be, you need to recognize that it's still just a correlation. I think it's, right. that's, at this point, it's more the teams that are winning. Aren't, don't necessarily have the personnel to be great offensive rebounding teams. Though it should be noted that for most of this year, the Warriors have actually been an excellent offensive rebounding team, uh, relatively speaking. Yeah. <laughs> um, so th- that's one one side of it, and the other side, and, and this is something that uh, that another uh, 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 a piece that I linked to in in my piece, uh, uh, someone named Brian Skinner did an interesting look at kind of. Figuring out the, the literally the calculus of of that the go for the rebound or not decision. The better an offensive rebounding team you are, the more you should go for offensive rebounds. So the fact that the Jazz are good at it uh, indicates, you know, by virtue of personnel, uh, both you know Gobert and Favors and then uh, Trevor Booker off the bench, that indicates that they probably should be more aggressive um, going for going for offensive rebounds than, than the average team because. They'll be more successful, and since they're more successful, it helps them on offense and doesn't hurt them on defense as much. Quick update on the Jazz game, and, and since you mentioned Rudy Gobert, uh, Rudy Gobert did just sub out of the game with two minutes left. Jazz are now down 6, 96-90. Uh, Rudy Gobert was on the minutes restriction coming in, so it's not that surprising coming out. He's now played 15 minutes in tonight's game. Ended up a plus 7, the highest on the Jazz, but uh, thought I'd let our listeners know about that. I actually wanted to ask you about the Jazz's offense. You, you mentioned this a, a couple of weeks ago, but you were trying to figure out how it is that the Jazz's offense has been as efficient as it is. I mean, it's been kind of around the 10th range in terms of, of NBA teams so far this season when you look at offensive rating. Have you been able to come up with kind of a, a pat explanation for why the Jazz have been so effective offensively this year? Uh, no. <laughs> the short person. I think, I think that, you know, they're, they're doing decently at some little things. Uh, they don't turn the ball over a, a whole ton. They get the free throw line a lot. They're good offensive rebounding, um, good at offensive rebounding. But they're you know they don't they don't uh, they don't do a great job of of playmaking for each other, which is which is something that tends to correlate with uh, with with uh, you know efficient offense. So the short answer is I'm not really sure. Um, it's it's maybe it's 
they've got some guys who are maybe hitting shots more than you can necessarily expect. I know that uh, Neto's three-point percentage has, has kind of dropped over the, as the season has gone along, but it's, it's still, still like 40%. More, yeah, it's... Better than you would have expected of him, uh, given the scouting report and him coming in. Um, Rodney Hood, is uh, when healthy, is, has uh, been up and down, but as someone who can certainly create for himself and others a little bit, um, I don't know. <laughs> no, there's no, there's no easy explanation for it other than they've kind of have probably just made a few more shots than than we would have thought they would have given the shot the looks they're getting. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's a fair thing. I mean, it, it's interesting because the Jazz, you know, c- coming into the season and, and really especially coming out of last one, thought that they were a defensive-minded team, and yet so far, and admittedly, Rudy Gobert's been out for much of the season, but they they've been a better offensive team than they've been a defensive team by by on a on a per possession basis. Yeah, and I think that, that but I think that with Gobert back, I mean, he's yeah. such a massively impactful defensive player that. That at the very least their their defense will 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 come back up probably not to the level of the second half of last year just because um, that doesn't seem plausible unless you're this year's Spurs right <laughs> um, but uh, whether or not they can actually maintain uh, that that sort of offense and and if especially as he's kind of working his way back into form if if Gobert might actually be a little bit of a drag on the offense in in the short term. Speaking of offenses that actually drive me crazy, and uh, <clears throat> we talked about <laughs> yes, we talked we talked about uh, well, actually, I'm not going with the Wolves just yet, but okay. I am going to ask you a Wolves question. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, the Rockets actually, I don't like the way they shoot threes, and I and you've played basketball with me. I've played basketball with Seth. Seth can flat out shoot. Yeah, by the way. Uh, so he can for for the people who don't. I've know. had to so, guard him before. It's yeah, <laughs> it's a nightmare. Um, and so Houston seems to have like found that cliff of like too many threes to where they're not that efficient of an offense, but are they not that efficient of an offense because they shoot too many threes or is it because they're hunting contact or is it because everyone hates each other? Um, I'm actually, so it, it's funny you bring this up. I, I actually uh, just pitched a story on, on this today and I'll be writing on it uh, in the next couple of days is it's some of it is, I think they just don't have a lot of good shooters. Yeah. Um, some of it I think is the fact that when you kind of, uh, I don't know whether it's it's your 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 you're starting to hunt the less efficient threes now, or if you kind of take the deception of of whole of of threatening from whole areas of the court kind of off the table. If that makes it easier to guard, or the fact that they are so encouraged to shoot threes that maybe you know, oh, I'm not I'm not really in rhythm here, but I'm going to shoot this anyway because right. it's a three. That's good. Um, and I think all of those things, and as well as kind of whatever kind of internal turmoil stuff has been going on with them, which, you know, I, I, I don't know anything about specifically, but it's hard to, it's hard to avoid the, the thought that something has, has, hasn't been right with their team much of the year. Um, I think all of those things certainly play a part with it. And, but you know, they're, are, are they un, in, in offensive terms? Are they underperforming their talents? Are they performing to their talents? Is their system, preventing them or is it just they have you know one really great offensive player and a bunch of guys who aren't and this is kind of and almost no matter which way you slice it uh this is what you you know what how you get there might be different but you get kind of a uh an okay to good but not great offense out of that um and that's 
Uh, and having not yet written the piece, I don't know the answer to that. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's certainly something I, I, I'm very interested in, in investigating. Because I think it's been something that we've seen not just this year, but over the, the last few years of kind of the hardened dominated system is, you know, by kind of quote unquote objective terms, they are getting good shots, which in their hands turn into less good shots. And how much of that is, like I said, the, that lack of deception versus just not having good shooters taking the shots. Okay. Yeah. Now, now I'm going to ask you about the offense that drives me the most crazy, which is the Timberwolves. <laughs> uh, they are having a nineties night pretty soon. They advertise that today with like a cool save by the bell Photoshop of Ricky Rubio and Shabazz Muhammad as Zach and Slater. So I'm looking forward to that. Is that the night that Sam Mitchell looks like a genius? Um, if, if we were closer to, to, to Passover, I might say what makes that night different than all other nights. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, I, no, it's, this is actually always kind of a, a, a tough topic to talk about now. Um, I, I've, I, I wrote about this some over the summer and, you know, looking back at those pieces, they all talked a lot about, but, uh, Flip Saunders, which makes it, you know, a, a little bit, you feel a little bit bad talking about it sure. just in general, just the, the way that, the, um, and it's, it's worth remembering that, you know, in the nineties and early two thousands, Flip was a, his system was gen, genuinely innovative and, kind of state of the art and the problem is it hasn't that that system and you see it both in Minnesota and prior to this year in Washington with uh, uh, um, with Randy Whitman that it, it didn't necessarily adopt to the, the the modern NBA in terms of both rule changes and defensive style and it's it, it, this has been a, a topic the last couple of days and amongst, you know, Wolves writers and, and, and tweeters and stuff like that is it's hard to say, you know, what you've learned about, uh, you know, some of the young players they have, because you're not really sure how they would look in a, in a system that's, that's more like what teams in the NBA, most teams in the NBA are doing these days. Well, I also, and, I also do wonder know, like, it, like, could you just take that system and stretch it out five feet? Like, would that work in any way? Uh, uh, maybe, but so much of the stuff is is kind of you know that the elbow entry and kind of those those slice cuts across the top, and you can't really like if you change the angle. Like, just thinking off on my feet now, you know, you change the angle on that cut, and you make that that diagonal pass across the the, the top of the key instead of to a guy cutting off the elbow, maybe that, that turns into like a, like a steal and a dunk the other way too often right. or something like that. I, um, and, and, but, and just beyond that, it's just, you know, I, and I think we've talked about this before, just where guys catch the ball just does not put them in, in positions to, you know, threaten vulnerable areas of the court. If, if, you know, Andrew Wiggins is catching the ball at 20 feet, why would anyone have to close out on a hard? He's not, he's not a great three point shooter by any means yet, but, if someone with his athleticism or an even better example, Zach Levine is catching the ball at 24 feet. Um, he's a good enough shooter that you have to run at him. Now, all of a sudden he has this pretty simple, all right, the guy's not going to get here. I'm shooting this catch and shoot three or the guy's coming out at me too hard. I'm going to go to the basket and dunk on everybody. Um, and, you know, making the game kind of very simple for him would seem in that way would seem to be a really good way of, maximizing his gifts and kind of hiding some of the decision-making weaknesses that, uh, that I think we've, we've all kind of 
uh, seen and lamented in the Zach Levine point guard experiments. Yeah, no, I I, th- I think that's a good point. Um, let me let me change like tax a little bit uh, to this Jeremiah Singleman study that was kind of floating around Twitter uh, yesterday and today with regards to size versus um, adjusted plus minus. And in particular, he found that lineups with more size overall are much better defensively, but much worse offensively. I guess maybe much is strong, but better better defensively and worse offensively. So again, small teams, better offense, big teams, better defense. I guess that's not a surprising result, but I was surprised that it wasn't a clear, uh, there wasn't a clear answer whether or not you should play kind of small lineups compared to big lineups. I, I guess I would have expected, given the success of the Warriors and, and the heat a little bit and playing small sometimes, that maybe there'd be more positives to playing small than, than showed in, in Jeremiah's study. What, what were your thoughts when you saw that? Um, I, I agree with you that it wasn't. It's, it's sort of a, a confirmation of something we've we've sort of known or at least suspected for a long time, and that's 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 pretty valuable in and of itself, just to, to kind of confirm that bit of bit of wisdom. Um, part of it is I think that uh, the effect is probably somewhat uh, muddied by you know a team like the Warriors. Uh, most teams don't necessarily stay big against them, mm-hmm. so that that possibly kind of diminishes the effect a little bit um, because a, a team is, is then goes and plays small versus them. But by playing small, they're not necessarily playing their best guys. So they're, they're putting a worse lineup on the floor and that does all kinds of kind of interesting uh, in, in air, in, in nerdy air quotes, uh, <laughs> interesting things to kind of the, the statistical methodology of it or with the, within the statistical methodology. So, um, it's hard to necessarily tease out better or worse. I think like we talked about with, uh, with the offensive rebounding, it's, it's much better to do what your team does best um, than to try to get, you know, caught up in, in kind of, this is the quote unquote optimal way to play. If we had, um, you know, whatever personnel we had, I think, you know, in the off season, maybe that's a, that's a better time to start thinking about, do we want to be, uh, you know, make a decision like the Pacers did last year? Right. All right, let's go small or let's go faster. Um, See, and I, and I guess that's you know, a lot of what I took out of it was that, look, you know, the NBA is has absolutely moved small over the last, you know, however long, decade, whatever. But ultimately, you're not necessarily hurting yourself a lot if if you do stay big. And I guess as a Jazz fan, that was a little bit reassuring to say, you know, this favors Gobert thing for example, can work out long-term. Sure. And I think that's a difference between, you know, the Pacers situation where um, Roy Hibbert for kind of his, his talents as a, as a rim protector and a defender isn't necessarily someone who can exploit a smaller matchup on him, either through his own scoring offensive rebounding and stuff like that. Whereas the jazz with, you know, Gobert on the offensive rebounds and favors both, you know, on the boards and in the post and the pick and roll game, both can really exploit smaller defenders much better. And so that's a, that's a way where, all right, maybe we're giving something up quickness wise uh, if the other team goes small, but they're giving up a lot on their own defensive end too. Mm-hmm. Um, and we think we win in the wash. And, and that's at least a, uh, that's, I think a, a big difference between the, uh, any sort of decision Utah might have to make. Versus again, we talked about Indiana. Versus you know the decision to, all right, we're going to move on from from Roy Hibbert and and 
and, you know, play Paul George at the four kind of sort of not really, even though CJ miles has really been guarding yeah, been the four Paul George has. <laughs> right. All right. Well, Seth, thank you so much for joining us. That was really interesting on a number of different topics. Uh, tell everyone where we can read your, your stuff. Um, most of, a lot of the stuff I write that you can find at nyloncalculus.com. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Seth Partnow. Um, also, uh, have stuff coming out once or twice a week out on the Fancy Stats blog at uh, Washington at WashingtonPost.com. Cool. All right, Seth. Thank you again so much for joining us. We got to take a break on the Salt City Hoop Show. Coming up next, we'll go around the NBA, talking about all the latest news and notes from the NBA and a Twitter note too. Because why not? That's next. Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. Talking hoops and the association. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. The the Jazz just lost their game against Houston on the back-to-back, 103-94. Rodney Hood was injured, went out with an ankle injury mid-game. Rudy Gobert made his valiant return uh, and ultimately did have to sit, though, in the final two minutes as, as Houston pulled away. Uh, Kind of a bummer. We'll, we'll be talking about that game more last segment, but for right now, we want to go around the NBA and maybe a little bit of Twitter news, too. Yes. Let's talk about the Twitter thing first. Twitter is considering expanding its character limit, currently 140 characters, to 10,000 characters. 10,000 character tweets that they might allow in some format anyway. Zach, your thoughts. This is going to ruin tweeting about basketball. How so? Because the crazy people that come at me already are, are throwing, you know, two, three, four, five, six, seven tweets at me before I mute them. <laughs> when they want to tell me that Derrick Rose is actually still MVP and all this stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, now, if you can like throw a book at me, which I assume most books are at least 10,000 characters, <laughs> uh, I'm not a fan of this at all. And I think it's going to ruin the way we cover sports. I think it's good. like The way that they're trying to do it, I think it's like you know, Facebook has basically like, hey, you can post an article on Facebook. And I think yeah. they're trying to make that this. But I, I don't think it's going to be executed well. Yeah, I, I worry about the execution a lot. Um I would like I kind of want to see more from the crazy people sometimes like I I always enjoy I mean I get a lot of like comments from ksl.com right sure and if you give people like a lot of space to write like make them write three paragraphs on what they feel about something they'll write some interesting hilarious stuff sometimes sure I mean I guess it could turn into like a funny Facebook comment section right um I just I don't know I don't, <laughs> don't want to have to mute more people I mean, won't it be less annoying to have one tweet rather than seven tweets coming at you of the same No, because thought? it's going to take up the entire column. Okay. That's the problem. It's really a space issue. Yeah, no, I, and really, as someone pointed out, like, the, the one difference that Twitter has over everyone else is the 140 characters limit. Like, they kind of lucked into that being a good thing. Right. But I, I think, like, it could be done well if it's done right. I mean... Maybe if it's sort of medium-ish, I don't know. Well, I'm out. I'm going to delete my account out. if this You're happens. Se- wow. Well, I'm, that's not true. I'm too, <laughs> I'm, I'm never <laughs> too dependent. All right, let's go into basketball stuff. CJ McCollum had to sit out last night against the Los Angeles Clippers due to a clerical error. Basically, the, the Portland Trailblazers trainer circles normally circles the names of the 13 active players you're allowed to have on the bench. And last night, he accidentally circled Luis Montero's name rather than CJ McCollum's name. As a result, CJ McCollum didn't play. Kind of an interesting twist. The NBA actually asked Doc Rivers if he would allow... CJ McCollum to play. He gave him the option, basically, and Doc Rivers said, "No, what if he won't play? Let's let's make it a little bit easier on us." Right. I mean, I, I, if I'm 
If I'm a if I'm a Portland fan, went to go see my second best player in CJ McCollum. I'm a little bit I'm a little bit mad, obviously at my own team, but also at Doc Rivers for kind of being a jerk about it. It's dumb for Portland to have messed this up. Yes, you know, like you can't get past that. But it's also I don't know. It's kind of messed up. Like I guess the problem for Doc is Doc's done this twice. Oh, has or he? at least once with Danny Granger and didn't get to like play Danny Granger last season. But that's not quite the same thing of like no. not being able to play CJ McCollum. I am familiar with how good Danny Granger is, and it's not very good. Not at this point, no. Anymore, right. Uh, yeah, I I feel bad for the guy. I feel bad for Portland. I feel bad for their their fans. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of funny, let's be honest. And especially like in a game where Lillard's not playing. Right. You, no one wants that much Tim Frazier. No. <laughs> Even though he does have good alley-oop assists. Uh, Boris Diaw has a working cappuccino maker plugged in in his locker. Diaw for life? Dio's one of those guys you could tell me anything and I would believe. I, I, I'm surprised that he has, like, he's got the cappuccino maker. Does he have, like, multiple wine bottles uh, that, that be, have like, been a selected by machine. Pop? Like, yeah. I, uh, yes. <laughs> a pasta maker. Just go all in. And like, basically, anything you've seen on an infomercial, I expect to be in, <laughs> in Boris Diaz's locker. Yeah, I, I love it. Uh, Damari, Damari Carroll is hurt in knee injury. Rumor is he'll miss up to two months. I believe he did end up having surgery this week. Is that right? Yeah. Um, that's a bummer. Damari, obviously a former Utah Jazz man, uh, was acclimating really well in Toronto, and it, it's kind of a bummer to see him uh, lose time. They had a nice thing going, too, with the uh, Corey Joseph, Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, DeMar mm-hmm. Carroll mix of kind of going small ball. You can really play that combination. It looks good, and now no more for two months. Womp womp. Uh, speaking of former Jasmine, Darren Williams nailed a tough corner three in double overtime in front of the Kings bench as time expired, winning the game for the for the Mavericks. Is Darren Williams back? I mean, he's back until his ankles give out again. Sure. <laughs> See, like everyone kind of talks about the Duranissance, Darrenissance. I don't know how you would say this. Yeah, Darrenissance. Dar- Darrenissance. Yeah, that that works. Darrenissance. Uh, He's not that much better than he was last year. Like it's just no, he's expectations. Still like yeah, he's he's still like a 15 per guy who's not yeah. really assisting. He's not like uh, he's like if he's starting for your team, you're not in a good position in terms of like point guard. No, he's he's getting to the rim less than he did last right. season. Yeah, you know, he's he's basically he's sort of become Jason Kidd, like late career Jason Kidd a yeah. little bit. Is that is that a crazy Without comp? Without the defense, yeah, worse defensively. Yeah, like. Jason Kidd was doing all that fun guarding LeBron stuff. Right, that, like you would not put Darren Williams. Right. <laughs> LeBron James. Yeah, okay. Yeah, offensively. Defensively, what is he like? Me? Raymond Felton. 6'5", like <laughs> me? That's yeah. kind of what he is. Uh, let's see. Let's, let's go to LOL Lakers now. Thank you. Our favorite segment. We're still doing it until at least whenever there's weird Laker news, which turns out to be mostly every week. Um, first of all, Mitch Kupchak told Laker faithful this week that the team can't move on until Kobe Bryant retires. This probably was a good sign. I mean, he probably kind of celebrated a little bit when Kobe announced his retirement this season, right? Yeah, because there's some finality to it. And at the same time, like, I agree with him. They can't. And it's not like Byron Scott's going to develop the young guys anyway. No. So you may as well celebrate this Kobe thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something at least, right? right. Like, yeah. Before you, if, if you don't celebrate Kobe, you've got, you've got nothing. Exactly. And, uh, I'm t- I, I, okay, buy or sell Julius Randle's career, basically. Buy. Buy? Yeah, well, you're pro? It, well, if we can get Byron out after okay. this year, yeah. I, I just have not seen that much from him, and I, I worry. I think he's like a third big type. Uh, oh, I think he's definitely a starter. I don't know if okay. he's like all-star, but I think he can be a starter for 10 points. Okay. 
regardless, that the team can't move on until Kobe Bryant retires. Obviously, some of that's just like cap space, right? Like right. you need his thirty million dollars to yeah. give to other players. That's a lot of money. But uh, I, you know, it's it is interesting for him to kind of make that explicit. Uh, At out least there. he's honest. I mean, yeah. between that, between Sam Hankey being honest about the tanking, like you have some GMs really stepping up to the mic. I like it. Vlade Divac, by the way, this is kind of Laker history. He almost killed the trade that brought Kobe Bryant to Los Angeles by threatening to retire. I think that's interesting. Obviously, Kobe was traded for Vlade Divac back in, what was it, 96? 96, yeah. And uh, Divac didn't want to leave Los Angeles to go to Charlotte. Kind of understandable. So he threatened to retire and just stay in L.A., which would have ruined the trade forever. And, and this whole Kobe thing would have never happened. And Kobe still pretends that the Hornets didn't want him. Right. right. <laughs> that's that's what happened. Yeah. Yes. All right. That's all we have for LOL Lakers. They they even won a game this week, so we can't make fun of their record or anything. Which... No, we can because that is hurting them. They oh, need that's... that top three draft pick. So where are they right now? They well, I still they think they're the second wins. worst team. Yeah. yeah. So you've got Brooklyn with 10 wins and then New Orleans with 11. I could see them getting more wins than Brooklyn. I don't see how they catch up to like New Orleans, Minnesota, Milwaukee. I think they just have to get in range. I mean, they're they're two and a half ahead of Brooklyn, Boston, technically. Mm-hmm. Um, they're four ahead of New Orleans. I don't know. I think they could catch New Orleans. This yeah. New Orleans thing could go really bad. I, doesn't Anthony Davis win more games than by himself than anything? Uh, you know, he unless also, he gets he hurt. He also misses 20 games a year. Yeah. They're, really they're four bad. games behind. Yeah, I mean, it could get bad, yeah. but... And, and just honestly, need... that might be the best thing for the Pelicans long term. Oh, absolutely. If but... you can get a top three pick out of that with this draft. And, and if you're the Lakers, like all you have to be is if you're in that third position, you just need one team to jump you. Yeah. And then you're Which, out. Uh, yeah. I mean, you have what, like a 25% chance of keeping your pick at that point? Yeah. It's, it's rough. Yeah. Uh, per Mark Stein of ESPN.com, your boy Mike D'Antoni. Love him. Is a candidate in Phoenix if the Suns fire Jeff Hornacek. He's still a good Mike coach. Mike back, back in Mike D'Antoni back in Phoenix would be a lot of fun. And yeah, I think he fit this roster well. Absolutely. I I like it. I like I like we said in in today's first segment. I like Jeff Hornacek a lot. I think he's a smart guy. I think he's a good coach. I think he showed that during the forty eight win season. But Mike D'Antoni, I, I is is a great coach. Is is one of the. the I don't know, probably top 10 innovators in league history yeah. from a coaching point Absolutely. of view. Is that fair to say? He made Kendall Marshall look like an NBA player. I, I like Kendall Marshall. <laughs> a lot of people do. He's not very good. Fine. Uh, yeah, no, I, I like this idea. If, if Hornacek is fired, which I reluctantly admit is possible, then Mike D'Antoni is the guy I want in there. Yeah, Absolutely. Jimmy Butler broke a Michael Jordan record, by the way, dropping 40 points and a half to lead the Bulls past the Raptors this Sunday. 40 points and a half, Jimmy Butler. I didn't know he had it in him. Uh, here's what happened is Damari Carroll actually hit him uh, on a layup by Damari Carroll, busted his lip open, and it made him mad. Busted Jimmy Butler's lip open. Busted Jimmy Butler's lip open. He needed one stitch. He didn't want it, but the trainer made him get it. And then after halftime, he was just possessed. He just hulked. He just hulked out, and, and they couldn't do anything. Well, one, all right, Dwayne Casey kind of messed up because he didn't really double him all that much. And uh, you would think after the 21-point third quarter, right. you would try to take away the 19-point <laughs> fourth quarter that's coming. Um, so they kind of just – and Jimmy Butler credited his teammates saying, like, hey, they gave me the spacing and I could operate. Uh, so Toronto didn't do a great job of getting the ball out of his hands. But 40 points and a half against pretty good wing defenders, that's, that's an accomplishment. 
Oh yeah, it, exactly. The Raptors are not, you know, the Raptors are not the Raptors of 05 of the the Kobe Bryant no, this, 81. These aren't your Jalen Rose is, Raptors. Yeah, no Mo Pete. Was it Mo, Mo Pete? Yeah, Mo Pete's not there. Alvin Williams isn't there. Yeah. This is this is Tracy a better Murray? Raptors defensive squad. Tracy Murray still there? Uh, <laughs> There's a pull. I uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I I have not thought about Tracy Murray in, no. in, in quite some time. I think he's a Lakers assistant. He's is he? assi- or he's an assistant somewhere. Well, this is this is our our I've listenership cares game. deeply about Tracy Murray. Yeah. Uh <laughs> yeah. Regardless, Jimmy Butler, well done. Amazing. Um I, I honestly didn't think he had the offensive game to put up like big points. Like he's he's a good offense player, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But like he's I I maybe I just think too much of Gordon Hayward when I see Jimmy Butler as like sure. kind of guys with the same small forward body going upwards. Uh, young guys in the NBA, defensively oriented obviously like yeah. Jimmy Butler is, but kudos to him. 39-year veteran referee and infamous troll Joey Crawford will retire from the game at the end of the season. Will you miss Joey Crawford? Yes, I get legitimately excited when I'm at a game that Joey Crawford is going to is going to referee. When I see him walk on the court, I get a little <laughs> There are not going to be too many more of those left. No, like you probably get one more in-person Joey Crawford game this season. Yeah, and I'm I'm going to miss him. I love him. See, he he does he does love the attention, oh, which is loves, fine. Yeah. See, I my favorite NBA ref is Bill Kennedy. Um, because I feel like he loves the attention in a positive way. Like he sure. looks like he's having fun refereeing. I feel like Joey Crawford loves the attention in like a negative way. Like these darn kids stealing my my thunder. Like Both I have just attacked a free throw shooter before, right? It's like getting yes. the ball out of their hand. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. So it, it it comes out in the same sort of actions, I guess. But sure. Bill Kennedy is smiling there's while he does less, it. Whereas there's, like there's less smugness. Joey Crawford's Bill, like, Bill no, Kennedy. this is this right. is my time. Uh, I, I is will that say fair? This. Yeah, well, that's very fair. And plus, Joey Crawford does like yell at the scorer's table for no reason. Yeah, least. yeah. I mean, if it, there is going to be at least one moment where he's like you know, yells at them for no reason. There's got to be a ceremonial like chewing out that he can do once the league is like retired. Him. <laughs> Just bring him to what? Like, I mean, he presumably will do playoff games too. So yeah. bring him out in one NBA Finals game and just have him yell at the scorer's table and then during do you, halftime. Like, raise his whistle to the rafters. Like, can we do that? I think so. Like the and, Miami Arena put up Dan Marino's jersey and Michael Jordan's jersey. And, I think we can get a Joey Crawford. And in in Vivint Arena, we've got the microphone of Hot Rod Hunley. So if we can raise a microphone, we can raise a whistle. Absolutely. I mean, I don't think the Jazz should retire Joey Crawford's whistle, just to be clear. But right. But a league wide retiring uh, uh, of the whistle. I'm all in. thirty NBA all arenas got to have something Let's up there it. of his whistle. Yeah. Dick Bavetta de- de- deserved it more. Definitely. If he doesn't get it, Joey Crawford doesn't get it. All right, we got to take a break. On the other side, we'll be talking about this Jazz loss, one hundred three ninety four to the Jazz, or to the Houston Rockets. What went wrong? What went right for the Utah Jazz? Next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN seven hundred. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN seven hundred. Stellar rapping here. So good. I like the moves, John. John LaFollette, our, our producer, as always, pro- providing us with some stellar music. This is the 0708 Utah Jazz theme song uh, by D-Biz Oh No, a oh, of course. famous 
rapper who, if you Google, only comes up with this song. Sure. <laughs> they held a contest in like yeah, in, in 2007, I think, and this was the winning song, and so it was played before every jazz game. Undoubtedly annoying all of the white, uh, wealthy lower bowl season ticket right. holder types. But, you know, it was fun. <laughs> there, uh, there is a Timberwolf song uh, that goes basically like, I'm a Timberwolf, I'm a Timberwolf, and it's really bad. And can we find of, that for next kinda, week? They kind of mix John, it in. You're yeah. on it? They, can, they mix it in at a lot of home games. Okay. We're going to do that. We, we've got the Steph Curry Sinka 3 video, uh, song. I don't know if you heard that like la- during last year's playoffs. No, it was like a Let It Be remix. No. Uh, we've got the Atlanta Hawks have a safety video song that we will sometimes yeah, that play. Yeah, that I've seen. Okay. Um, I'm always looking for additions. We've got Andre Kirilenko's wife, Masha, adding some music in sometimes. She's like a big-time Russian pop star, right? Allegedly, but then you Google her, and then nothing comes up. So I don't know. I, I, I don't know that I'd trust Googling Google. Russian <laughs> I anything. Know, I know. So I, I don't know Masha's exact status. Okay. Uh, and of course, Gordon Hayward's rap too big, yo. Sure, that's, which, that's a classic. <laughs> I'm always embarrassed to play on the airwaves, but it, it, it is just so hilarious that it needs to be played. Anyway, Jazz lost to the Houston Rockets, 103-94 tonight. Uh, some quick talking points from tonight's game. First of all, I, I think the big thing that Twitter is talking about right now is Quinn Snyder's rotation at the end of the game, and in particular with. Uh, Rudy Gobert hitting his minute restriction at 15 with two minutes left to play, then plays Trey Lyles and Trevor Booker at the end of that game uh, instead of playing Jeff Withy, who's played very, very well in Rudy right. Gobert's absence. I guess the question is, A, should Jeff Withy have played? Would the result have been any different had Jeff Withy played? I mean, wh- what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think you're kind of grasping at straws here. I don't think it's necessarily wrong to have wanted Jeff Withy to play more because I do think he's a pretty solid big man to throw out there. And there's definitely more uh, stability than throwing out a Booker Trey Lyles combination. Uh, but you are looking for offense. Now you could argue, you know, you could say, well, is uh, are either Booker or Lyles giving you definitely more offense than Withy? that. I don't about know about the same. It's probably about the same. And then you're, you're definitely picking up the defense, but I do think in that situation, in that, in those crunch time minutes, you are looking for more of a more potential to put some points together. Yeah, so you've got at the two twelve mark is when he came out. Trey Lyles entered the game for Rudy Gobert. Jazz are down uh, essentially four at that point, so you do need a lot of points. Um, and so you you I, I I get the point of why you'd want Jeff Withy in there, but then you look at how the Rockets got their points from there on out, and it, it was one James Harden makes driving layup. Maybe Jeff Withy makes a difference there, but for the most part, it's kind of free throws and. Uh, Actually, the rest of the points in the game are free throws. Sure. So the and I don't know that they were at the rim free throws. I, I think like Montrez Harold uh, was. I think just a loose ball foul. Um, I, I I don't know that it makes a difference in the outcome of the game. I do think Jeff Withy should play more minutes. That he didn't play in the latter half of the third quarter or the entire fourth quarter is a little bit eyebrow raising. Right. I agree. With that. Um, and I think he should be getting minutes over. Some uh, probably over Trevor Booker at this point, um, depending on matchups. Trey Lyles, I get why he plays so much because the Jazz are very interested in his development, and I thought he showed some nice things um, developmental wise tonight. Anyway, well, I, I do think you're kind of then you are broaching the subject of like what is the short term versus long term right. game here, and and they're definitely looking long term right. first and last and 100 percent like that's just how the Jazz are looking at everything. Rodney Hood 
went down tonight with an ankle injury, is out, uh, was out for the rest of the game. Honestly, it looks bad enough that it looks unlikely that he'll play uh, Saturday against the Heat, but we'll, we'll learn more about that injury later. If he does go out, the Jazz's wing rotation is so thin. What, what do they do? I mean, you, I guess at some point you have to start playing. You have to start playing Christopher Johnson a lot more. Yeah, who's um, been good. I mean, tonight, so, like, five for eight. Yeah. Like, he's a couple two threes, steals. Right? Yeah, uh, one three anyway. One three. Um, and, oh, yeah, he had a shorter baseline jumper after that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, you have to get very creative with the big lineups. You have to hope Joe Ingles can, can you know, defend some wings. I mean, there's not a lot of options unless you go for a D-League call-up. But does the D-League call-up make a difference? Like, who are you going to bring? Like, I, I mean, I'm sure there's some. I watched a guy named Raphael Putney put up like 38 and 18 today. He's like a 6'11 wing type player. Really? Yeah. Okay. I don't know if he's any good, but he's on Rio Grande Valley. <laughs> and he had a great game today in the showcase. Okay, well, let's let's call him up. Grab him. It's it's time. Can he, Yeah, can he score and defend is basically all. He's tall and lanky. He's like a supersized KJ McDaniels. Okay. Yeah. I'm in. I'm I'm so in. Sure. If you sell me on him like that, I I'm in. Like I I, I watched, don't I watched 90 minutes of him play today. I'm sold. <laughs> sounds good. I mean, the Jazz have 10 healthy players right now. I guess 11 with Rudy Gobert coming back, but right. now 10 with Rodney Hood presumably being out. Uh it's it's a sad sad state of affairs. Uh 19 turnovers tonight for the Jazz and I think that really was a big killer for them. Uh Rockets got 16 points off of those turnovers and, and 17 fast break points overall. It's just going to be so hard for the Jazz to win if they give teams points uh, through easy transition opportunities. Right, and if you're if some of these turnovers are coming from creating contact and not getting to the free throw line, you know that can just be a very bad flow to the offense. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. All right, well, anyway, that's our show for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to listen to any of the other parts of the show that you may have missed, you can check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, or, of course, SaltCityHoops.com. We're the ESPN True Hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Zach Harper, thank you so much for joining me. You're you. now our regular co-host. We'll see you pretty much every week. Can't get rid of me. I, I, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I might regret it later, but so Oh, you'll far, definitely regret it, but no for now, regrets. can't get rid of me. And and again, as always, thanks so much to our producer, John LaFollette, for, for producing it and coming up with our, our great music every week. Uh, thank you guys so much again. This has been Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700.